Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church to make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. If you checked out social media, you know that we're going to be talking about karma. Karma. And I have a few stories to share with you that I found on the internet. This person was writing, I was going to an interview and there was hardly any room in the parking lot. As I was about to park in a spot that I found near the entrance of the building, a guy passed me and beat me to it. I had to leave the car far away. Anybody relate with this in Miami, living down here in Miami? I was fuming and upset walking to the office. And as I entered the elevator, I saw the guy who cut me off. He's waving at me to hold the elevator for him. And I said, karma, beep, (laughs) and hit the button. (laughs) Guess who later turned out to be my boss? A gypsy woman stalked me everywhere in a shopping center. She approached me and predicted good things. And she talked about my fate. And in the end, she managed to convince me to give her $20. Then her karma caught up to her. And when we said goodbye, we hugged. And the $20 bill, which was sticking slightly out of her pocket, accidentally stuck into my hand. My older brother left his girlfriend because she wanted to have a family and children. And after a while, he started dating another girl. And within six months, she became pregnant. So they had to get married quickly, and they soon found out that they were having triplets. Karma caught up with them. Another person said, I have never had a boyfriend. I think I just messed up my karma when I punched a boy in the eye in the third grade for the fact that he confessed his love to me. I was scared and didn't know how to react, so please don't repeat my mistake. Last one, men's snoring is woman's karma. They don't keep quiet all day, women don't, and we don't keep quiet all night. (laughs) It's very common nowadays, and I'm sure you guys have experienced this, that talking to people, you hear the word karma a lot nowadays. It's something that's in daily conversations. You know, I want, this person has good karma, this person has bad karma. I was uh, remembering when we were buying this building, one of the agreements that we had to sign before we could buy this building was a cross-parking agreement because we don't have enough parkings to be able to fill all these chairs that are here. So we had to literally rent parking lot from the people next door. And I remember the owner of the building, really nice guy, when we were negotiating the parking, he's like, well, I'll do it for you guys because, you know, it's going to be good karma for me. I can't I can be wrong with you guys. You guys are a church, right? So... And, and, and people talk about karma. They talk about energy, right? This guy has good energy. He has a good vibe, bad energy. Transcendental meditation teaches you, or, or they teach, that there's seven ch- chakras and that each of these have a specific energy. And then what you can do is either deactivate or activate positive or negative energy so that you could just enjoy life. And then we we just live in a world where a lot of people talk about this energy and karma. We don't even know what it really means. The word karma comes from an ancient Indian language more than 3,500 years ago. That's where it initiated. The language is called Sanskrit and the meaning of karma to them was an action. Everybody say an action or an act. In the Vedic 
religion, which is the roots of Hinduism today, karma meant to them a ritual or a sacrificial action. A ritual or a sacrificial action. Hinduism, Buddhism, which also adopted this term karma, what they believe, and this is the definition that a lot of people use today, is the thought that the sum of a person's actions in this life and in previous states of existence decide the destiny of future existence. So what I did in my previous lives and what I'm doing today will determine if I'm going to be a billionaire tomorrow or a mosquito, right? So people believe this and if you go to the popular definition, the one that a lot of people use lightly because they don't know the true definition of karma, people just believe that karma is the idea that someone's actions will return to them at some point in their future through the powers of the universe. But what does the Bible say about karma? Does karma exist? Did God invent karma? What? To be able to deal with the first topic, I want to jump into the topic of future or past existence. Because what does the Bible say? Do we just live once? Do we, is reincarnation biblical? I mean, do we live multiple lives? And the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, and just as each person is destined to die once. Everybody say once. Is it clear there? Okay, so we just live once. We got one shot at this. Just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Wait, there's going to be a judgment? Yeah, it's going to be a judgment. We get one shot at living life. We don't get two, we don't get three, we don't get 20. One shot at living life, and the Bible says that after that there's a judgment. Uh, what are we going to be judged by? Who's the judge? God is the judge, and we're going to be judged by everything that's in this book. That's why this is your greatest treasure in your life right here it's called the word of not my ipad but the word of god your bible you need to read it every day this is your greatest treasure because it's your roadmap it's your blueprint it's what gives you direction to make the most not out of these 20 lives that you're going to live but of this one life that we live it's incredible to know that in other parts of the world right now there's people that are starving they're barely getting by they have no food yet they have cows roaming around their backyards. But they can't kill the cows because they could be killing their ancestors or they could be killing their grandfathers. And the devil has them fooled into thinking this way when the Bible is super clear that we only live once. But the Bible does have some principles that popular karma definitions try to mirror. And I'm going to share with you guys some of them, uh, three to be exact. And if you go, go with me to the book of Proverbs, Chapter 26, verse 27, it says this. If you set a trap for others, you'll get caught in it yourself. If you roll a boulder or a rock down on others, it will crush you instead. Galatians chapter 6, 7 says, don't be misled. Tell the person next to you or closest to you, tell them don't be fooled. Don't be misled. Don't get it twisted. You cannot mock the justice of God. How many of you believe that God is just? One of the things that God is, is he's just. And, and I guess that's one of the reasons why we go to him so freely, because we know that he's going to be fair. He's going to be just. He is a just God. And it's saying, you can't mock the justice of God. You will always, everybody say always. All right, you will always harvest what you plant. You plant hatred, Guess what you're going to harvest? Hatred. 
you plant love, you're going to harvest love, right? What goes around comes around. It's a popular way that people say it. And Matthew 7, 12 also says this. It says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. It's a pretty good way to live, right? Do to others what you would like to have done to you. Sometimes we say, well, I want others to do what I want to receive so that then I could do that same thing to others. It doesn't work that way. If you are not satisfied with the way people treat you right now, you be the change. You start treating others the way you want, even if that, those, those people don't deserve it. You be the change. You start treating them. You initiate it. And then it'll come back. That's what it says. And not only that, if you continue reading the verse, <clears throat> it says, this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Crazy, right? It's like summing up all the law, talking about, you know, the first five books of the, of the Bible, all the law, all the commandments, all the prophets ever said. You want to sum it up into one phrase is this, do to others what you would like them to do to you. So I want to use the rest of my time to talk to you about this concept. Nothing just happens. I want you to tell somebody close to you, tell them, nothing just happens. Nothing just happens. And I'm going to be using the story of Ruth. I don't know how many of you guys have read the story of Ruth. Yeah, the whole story. Raise your hand. Okay. Amazing story. It's actually one of the most amazing or compelling stories in the whole Old Testament. It's like you're reading a novel, right? It's like you're following on Netflix and you're like caught and you, you want to just binge because you can't just leave it here halfway. You, you got to finish this, right? It's, it's one of those amazing stories in the Bible because in just a few pages, and Ruth is not a big book, you fall in love with the characters, you identify with them, because there's human relationships involved. You identify with their affairs. You feel their pain. You share their tears. And you get involved with them in a meaningful way. It's a story of love. It's a story of encouragement. It's a story of um, support. Human relationships. Survival when times are tough. Uh, and human interaction at the highest level. And it teaches us basically that even when it seems that your life is over. And I know there's a lot of young people here today in the English service. And even when it feels that areas of your life or people in your life or, or situations in your life are over, the book of Ruth is like, it teaches you that God can use you in a meaningful way, even after loss, even after pain. So it's the story of surviving women. How many women are in the house today? How many ladies in the house? All right. It's a story of sur strong surviving women who lost everything they loved and still stood their ground in the face of adversity. But it's also not just a story about women. It's a story about men. Where are the men in this house? Come on, where are the guys? It's a story of men full of grace who looked beyond themselves and reached out to strangers, covering and carrying them in a very gentleman-like way. And this guy, which we're going to learn about, his name is Boaz, he brings a woman from outside his circle, brings her in, provides for her for the rest of her life. So it's a beautiful story. So let, let me just uh, paraphrase it. We don't have time to read the whole thing, but let me, let me just uh, set up the, the setting of where we are. This is this guy called Elimelech. Everybody say Elimelech. Okay, this guy, he's the head of the household. He marries a woman called Naomi, right? 
They're married, they have two children, but it gets to the point where there's so much hunger. And, and I know that maybe as immigrants, we probably have gone through seasons where we weren't able to eat what we wanted to eat. You know, we had to settle for spaghetti for multiple nights a week, you know, or, or when you went to the restaurant, um, you could get, you know, the plates on top. You can't get, you know, the lobster and the surf and turf. You know what I mean, right? But we've never, I believe, nobody here has experienced hunger to the point that you have, you're, if you don't leave where you're living, you're going to die because there's no food. And not just in your house because you're not working. Just the, the whole place, it's just a hunger that fell and, and there's no way to get food. So everybody and their mama was leaving uh, Bethlehem. Everybody, it was, everybody was leaving. And this guy, just like everybody else, Elimelech grabs Naomi, her two sons, or their two sons, and they decide to leave towards Moab. Now look what happens. Um, they're all leaving because of this hunger. And what was supposed to be a short period of time, you know, to make a little bit more money and then come back and the hunger is gone. It lasted 10 years these people had to leave the comfort of their home. And keep in mind, back then, people didn't have to or wouldn't move like we move nowadays. Um, nowadays, I think the average is people living like six, seven years in their home. In my country, in Argentina, I mean, you have people from multiple generations living in the same home. And, right, and you grew up with them and you know everybody from the neighborhood. Mariela del Barrio. <laughs> you used to know everybody because what? It was tight-knit. People just wouldn't move. Well, this was... This was like that. I mean, in, in, you know, Old Testament scripture, people used to live there for generations and generations, but they were forced to leave into an, a different land that they did not know because of hunger. And it turned out to be 10 years. In these 10 years, Elimelech dies. The head of the household dies. So imagine Naomi's pain that they left the city where they were born, the city where the new people, the city where they were doing life. And what was supposed to be a short time just dragged on for 10 years. Like sometimes some situations in our lives sometimes drag on for more than we want to. And 10 years, and in the midst of that, her husband dies. Wait, but not just her husband. Her two sons, they marry here in Moab. They find uh, Moabite women. They get married, but the two sons die. So Ruth's story starts, and what I want to share at, now that I have set up the setting, is this woman that she heard that the famine is already over. She's getting ready to return to Bethlehem, but now she's returning without her husband. She's returning without her two sons. She's returning without the, all the men in her life that she's ever loved. And she's empty. It's a difficult situation. In less than 10 years, she loses every man she's loved. So broken and tired, she gets fed up and she says, well, you know what? There's nothing left for me here. I'm not even from here. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. Maybe she had friends there. Maybe she had people that she knew. So um, she definitely didn't want to be alone. So we're going to start reading here in Ruth chapter 1, verse 21, if you want to go with me. Um, she said these words that I want you to think about today. She said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? You know, Naomi is doing what, we, what most of us do when we go through something so painful. First thing we do is we look up and say, God, why? Right? 
How many of you guys have ever gone through a situation that you didn't understand? Or maybe you're going through it right now. And you just, I mean, knowing the word and everything, it's human nature to say, why? I don't understand. Trying to reason it all. Trying to find a why. Why did this happen to me? If I go to church, I'm a good person. I tithe. I do this. I, it doesn't make sense. So she started saying this. And, and I want you to understand this because... You know, there's so many teachings that you could use from this book, but why did they leave Bethlehem in the first place? Why did they leave? What was there in the land? Hunger. There was hunger. So there was a crisis. I mean, we need to eat to survive, right? If we don't eat, <laughs> eventually we'll die. So there was a crisis. But notice this. She's saying, I left full. You see, sometimes we got situations in our lives that we consider a big deal and we can't see the blessing that's around us because we're so focused on the things that we need and now looking back now having lost her husband having lost her children she's like man uh, when I left I was full and now I'm coming back home empty sometimes we're so focused in what we don't have yet that we cease to see God's blessing in our lives Focus on all that God's done. Yeah, there's probably things missing. There's probably some things that could go better. There are things that we're awaiting that still haven't worked themselves out. But man, God, I have life. I have family. I have a roof over my head. I was able to go into my closet and find something to wear today. Where people in the other side of the world probably don't have. Or even here in our own country. So Naomi here is, uh, she's left as a widow. During a time of famine, a strange land. And sometimes you don't appreciate the value of what you have until you lose it. You don't appreciate what you had. She didn't appreciate her family probably until she had no more. Sometimes we complain about things that are insignificant instead of thinking or thanking God for what he's given us and done in our lives. So what's left here? Continuing with the story, we have three women that the only thing that binds them, the only thing that they have in common is pain. The only thing that binds them is pain. Husbands, they're gone. Her sons, gone. Her husband, gone. They're not even from the same land. The only thing that binds them is their pain. So here's Naomi, and she had two daughter-in-laws. One of them was called Ruth, and the other one was called Orpah. So it's incredible because pain sometimes unites people in a very mysterious and secret way. You see, when, when I went through something and you went through the same thing, we know what we went through. Other people that haven't gone what you've gone through, they could have empathy towards you. They could, you know, have, you know, be very nice to you and try to understand how they, but they, they don't know. They don't know. They just haven't been in your shoes. But when you find somebody that's been through your same pain, they understand you. And this was bonding them. It's a way of, it's like a secret society, how pain unites people. And it goes beyond the color of your skin. It goes beyond your nationality, whether you're from Moab or you're from Bethlehem or you're from Hialeah or you're from Doral. It, it doesn't really matter. It, it goes beyond that. And you feel for people who have gone through what you have gone through. I heard T.D. Jakes say this once. He said, um, the parts of me that I need others to touch that I need to have fellowship are tied not to the successes of my life, but to the struggles of my life. Because God has done more through my struggles than he has done with my success. My successes are made up of the ingredient of my struggles. 
And it happens. A, a lot of who we are right now has a lot to do with the struggles we had to have in life. I don't know how many of you guys have experienced or, or known somebody that they've had a tough upbringing. And then you see that young lady or that young man uh, already 18 years old and, and you see them and you're like, wow, this person's so mature. This person knows what he wants and they didn't have time to play around. They probably lost their parents and, and at a very young age, they had to be focused and they, had to, they were thrust into pain and, and that, they developed and they matured a lot faster. And you're like, wow, you know, this person, this person is a strong person, is a determined, a person that's determined. So there's something that springs up when one experiences loss and death and pain, adversity. When you are treated unjustly, you try to think And process the reasons why. why. Why is this person being unfair? Why did God allow this to happen? Like Naomi did. Uh, Naomi. She, why did God allow me to lose my husband, my son? And then we, what we try to do is, since we can't change what happened, because it's already in the past, we try to reason or at least believe that something good is going to happen out of this. We call this closure, right? closure something good there's a purpose behind this and i have to make the most out of it and we justify what happened and i didn't go through this pain just for nothing because if it's just for nothing then you fall into the mistake of victimizing yourself and there's a lot of people that you know they're they're just about victim oh this happened to me and then they meet somebody that also went through a tragedy and it's like a competition to see whose tragedy was more tragic Right? Oh, yeah, but you don't know what happened to me. And it's like they try to outdo the other person. And you're just victimizing yourself. And victimizing yourself never is going to get you out of that situation. That's why we have people saying, oh, I'll never get married again. Or I'll never be able to get a good job. Or I'll never be able to do fill in the blank. The, these women shared the burial, the pain, the loss, and many tears. And then Naomi announced that she's going to return to Bethlehem. And the three of them hugged. The Bible says that they got in a big circle. They just started weeping and stuff. But then Naomi does something that's very important. And that's what I want to drive home today into your heart. Naomi tells them, listen, stop crying because there's nothing I can do. That's it. We cried enough. You see, there's a moment in time where you got to stop crying and say, that's it. No more, no more feeling sorry about myself. Now I got to get up and I got to focus on the future and let God guide me because there is something better. And Naomi, being a woman of God, her having questioned God herself, she got to a point where she says, no more. And she starts telling her, her daughter-in-laws, listen, there's nothing left for me here. I'm not from Moab. I got to go back to Bethlehem. But you, you girls... You ladies, you're, you're in your 30s or late 20s. You guys, because we start your life, get married. You got, you got the world ahead of you. So stop crying. And there's nothing I can do because even if I get married tomorrow and, have a, and get pregnant the next day, you have to wait nine months. And are you going to wait for that kid to turn 20 so you can marry them? I mean, there's nothing I can do. That's it. There's nothing that binds you guys to me anymore. So... Naomi announces that she's going to return to Bethlehem. They hug. And she tells them to stop crying. Now, what do you do? And this is what I want you to think about. What do you do when the clock is playing against you? Naomi is already a middle-aged woman. She can't go back, have kids again, and just give kids to these daughter-in-laws that she took in as... It's like they were her daughters. But it's too late. 
How many of you guys have ever felt, and I know a lot of you guys are young, but how many of you have felt that certain situations, they're, they're done with, they're past, and, and it's like, I can't, I can't go back. The clock is against me. What do you do when now you have the wisdom that you need, but you just don't have the time? Or what do you do when you let opportunities or seasons pass you by and that's it, they're, they're gone? What, what do you do when you have the passion and desire, but the mirror you look at reminds you that you just don't have the time anymore? Oh, go back to Moab. I can't, I can't give you more husbands. I can't do for you anything else. That's it. Restart your life. Uh, but I remind you today, as we're talking about this, nothing just happens. I want you just to be reminded of that. Even tragedies, even situations that you don't understand, that you've gone through, nothing just happens. God has not fallen asleep. How many say amen? He is in control. Why don't you tell the person next to you he's in control? Even when you feel you're not in control, God is in control. God is in control. It doesn't, you don't have to feel it. He just is. And not just partly in control. He is in absolute control. He knows your age. And, and I think he just created this divine opportunity so that you could be sitting here watching us right now uh, through the streaming to understand that God knows your age. He knows what's happened to you. He knows who left you. He knows the injustices that you've had to, you know, confront or you've had to suffer. Who bothered you, who raped you, who rejected you. He knows who betrayed you. He knows your debts, how much you owe on your student loans. He knows uh, what your college degree is. He knows what your dreams are. He knows about the health of your son. He knows everything. Understand this, JTP Church, and remember that nothing just happens. Come on. Can somebody repeat it with me? Say, nothing just happens. Nothing just happens. So, Orpa which is one of her daughter-in-law, she's the first to respond. When she tells him, look, I can't do anything for you. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. She responds and she returns to Moab. She hugs them and loved, loved Naomi, but she leaves. And I want to tell you this. There are people in your life that are going to leave you, who are going to get up and leave. And when somebody gets up and leave, I'm going to give you the best advice you're ever going to hear. Let them leave. <laughs> Let them go. Because sometimes we try to convince them to stay. Sometimes you try to bribe them into staying, right? Uh, convince them to love you and to convince, convince them to call you and to stay longer. But no matter how attractive they are or what they did for you five years ago or five months ago, your destiny is never tied into the people that leave. Look what 1 John 2.19 says, and, and this is applying to the church but you could apply it to your life. You could apply it to many things. It says, these people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. And just like this happens in church or in churches, it also happens in our lives. There's people that are going to come in our lives for a season and they're going to leave in a season. And you have to know that when people are out, you know, open the door for them. If they don't want to stay, you got to let them go. People leave you because they're not attached to you. And if they're not attached to you, you can't even use a bucket of Gorilla Glue to keep them attached to you. Just, you just have to let them go. So 
Check this out. What does it mean? It doesn't mean that Orpah was a mean or a bad person. It just means that her part in this story, it's over. Now, I don't, she probably had a story. I don't know what happened after that. She went to Moab, remarried, found another person, lived happily ever after. Who knows? But in this story that we're talking about, that's the end of her story. And you have to understand that there's people that are going to come in your life and leave out of your life, but that's not the end of your story because nothing just happens. How many say amen? God is in complete control. So you have to know when people's part in your story come to, comes to a conclusion. Stop trying to resurrect what's dead already, right? If he left or if she left, it wasn't an accident. If you tried to make it work and they left, it was not an accident. Accept God's will, get up, wash your face and keep on going, right? So I don't know who that's for. <laughs> But Ruth, that was Orpah. Ruth, on the other hand, which was the other daughter-in-law, she had a totally different reaction. She saw Orpah leave, and she could have very well gone with her friend, which was from where she was born. But instead, she tells Naomi these, I mean, just moving words, impactful words. Uh, people have even dared to suggest that they bordered on lesbianism. Okay, that's how impactful these words are because people have a tough time sometimes trying to explain what Ruth was saying to Naomi because it makes them too uncomfortable. We're not used to having such close relationships and that's why the same thing happens with Jonathan and David in the Bible when they make a pact, a blood pact. We're going to be brothers and they weren't, they weren't brothers but they, they had such a bond. It's just that sometimes God connects you to people that you don't understand why but there's a bond and you know why people sometimes think perversely like, oh, oh man, these people are, they must got something going because some people think that the only type of attraction or the only thing that could attract us is the physical. But God sometimes unites the spirit of a person to the spirit of another person because there's destiny involved. There's something that God wants to do. And I don't know if it's ever happened to you that you've met a person first time in your life, but there was a connection. And there was some, man, this person, it's, it, we just connected and it's the first time I met them. It's because God must be up to something. And that's exactly what happened during this whole process. From the minute that Naomi met Ruth while her son was probably dating her, courting her, there was probably a connection. And she began to pour into this young girl's life who had other gods, who had other customs and other things. But something happened that God brought them together with destiny. So Naomi was an older woman. She could have been Ruth's mom. But the spirit of Naomi, the influence of Naomi, and what's our word for this year at JTP Church? Influence, right? The influence of this woman marked the spirit of Ruth. And Ruth 1.16, this is what she said when she saw Orpah leave. She was there with Naomi. Now it's her turn. Well, I guess probably Naomi was waiting for her to give her a hug and do the same. But she said this. Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you. And turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Isn't that amazing? She was determined. She saw something in Naomi that she wouldn't be able to find anywhere else in Moab. She's like, look, I've, I've never seen anything like this. I'm going to follow this. There's something with this. I feel that I'm... 
in, in this season of my life, I'm, I have to go this way. And if we go a little bit deeper for perspective, I want you to understand what's happening here with us right now. You guys are sitting here, I'm here, and we're sharing this time, this finite resource that we have called time. But there's a purpose that we are here. There's a purpose that we're together, living life, serving God together. We're spending our lives together. We'll die one day, but now we are alive and united. We're doing life together. You could have been living somewhere else. You could have been with someone else, but something happened inside of us where we feel destiny has bound us to a vision, to a ministry, to something we're doing for God. And people sometimes talk about spending money, but the greatest thing or the most, the most precious thing we spend is our life, our time. And we're spending it together here. So you'll, you won't be able to write your story and leave me out. I can't write my story and leave you out because we are spending our lives together. And that's the most powerful link. And we see it in the Bible when two people that were not bound by blood, they weren't, you know, they didn't have the same mother. But God binds them and, and brings them together with a purpose. How many of you guys remember Paul and Silas? These people were locked up for preaching the Bible, for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in a cell at midnight and they were singing praises to God. What united them to? What united um, Elijah with Elijah to the point that when the prophet came, Elijah decided to leave everything. Leave his father, leave his job, leave the place where he grew up to follow this crazy prophet of God that just came to his house. He met him for the first time and now he's leaving and he's just leaving everything he has to follow this guy. How does that happen? And back then, culture was not like now. Back then, you always ended up doing whatever your father did. If your father was a carpenter, well, you know what? You were going to be a carpenter, just like Jesus and Joseph, right? Whatever your father, you followed on the family tradition, the family business, and, and people didn't move like we move nowadays. So how crazy is it that in that society, all of a sudden, a prophet of God comes and, and Elijah just has this connection and says, this is what I'm meant to do. This is what I need to follow. I'm going to leave everything because this is what the most important thing of my life is. And I think that that's exactly what Ruth felt. She said, look, Orpa, Orpa could leave, but I feel that my destiny is tied to this woman. I can't explain it, but this is where I have to be. And in Psalms, chapter 37, 23, the Bible says that the Lord directs the steps of the godly. The people that love God, the people that follow God, the Lord is the one that directs our steps. Even the missteps that we take, he is directing them. He is with us. He delights in every detail of their lives. That's why also a young Timothy, young person, there's a lot of young people here in JTP Church, so imagine in your youth, young people, you know, they like to party, they like to have fun, they like to be out with their friends. They like to... But young Timothy is sitting down in a cell, next to a cell, because there was an older guy that could barely see anymore called Paul writing letters to the church. 
And Timothy is waiting on this side of the cell door between the bars to receive the letters and take them to the churches. Being a young man, what, what linked them to? What created that destiny between them two? Well, the Lord is the one who directs the steps of the godly. I want you to know <coughs> this afternoon that your steps are being ordered by the Lord. The steps that you're taking right now, the decisions you're making, they're being ordered by the Lord because nothing just happens. And what that, means that, what that means is that in the midst of your pain, in the midst of separation, now going back to the story of Ruth, in the midst of death even, I am still under the protection of his will. Listen to me because this is pretty deep. You have to understand that in the midst of your suffering, of your bad decisions, of things that probably have passed and there's no way to recover because you're just too old, like in Naomi's case. In the midst of all that, you have to understand that you're still under the protection of God's will. If you're a godly person, God is still ordering your steps. How many believe that? Come on, can you give it up to Jesus? He's in complete control. And I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to use a story that you guys all know, or most of you guys know. Jonah, my favorite story in Sunday school, right? I used to love the marine world, still do. So, I mean, anything that has to do with whales and sharks, I'm there. <laughs> and the book of Jonah, if you guys remember correctly, God comes up to Jonah and he's a prophet. He's not just a regular dude. He's a prophet of God. Prophets, what, what, what would they do? They would hear from God and pass on the message. That's all they had to do. So he hears from God, God gives him a message, go to Nineveh and tell those people they're, they're up to no good, they're doing a lot of wrong things, if they don't get their act together, I'm going to send fire from heaven and consume them. So go give them the warning. And what does he do? If you know the story, Jonah, he gets on a boat and instead of going to Nineveh, which is that way, he goes to Tarshish, which is on the contrary, the other way. And you know that a storm arises and then they throw him out of the boat. He is mysteriously swallowed by a large fish and he spends three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Crazy story. Although God told him to go to Nineveh and he didn't go, I want, you to tell you, I want to tell you this, he was still in God's will. Even when he was being blockheaded, disobedient, right? He was still in God's will, even when he was being disobedient. And I'll prove it to you. It just so happened that a big fish was just swimming right next to a big boat where big men threw him overboard and the big fish was happening to pass by and just swallowed him and he just so happened to survive and spend three days, not one day, not two days, not four days, but three days in the belly of a fish. And you're telling me that's not part of God's will? That God wasn't involved in all of that? The Bible even says later on in the book of Matthew, just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. It was part of the plan. It was all part of the plan. And as a matter of fact, if you look at the book of Ruth, even uh, Jonah's story, there's so much, uh, uh, there's such a parallel and it's like a shadowing of what Jesus was going to be later on. So I want to tell you today, your mistakes were in his will. Your mistakes were in his will. Jonah's mistake of 
not obeying God and going on, it was part of God's plan. And God sometimes will use anything to get you redirected and back in the right direction. Just like when you're on your GPS trying to get somewhere and you miss your exit, what does it do? It redirects you. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. But in the midst of all that, in the midst of our mistakes, it was all in his will. Your loss, whatever you, if you've made, if you've lost something, your loss was in his will. Your difficulties that you're going through right now are in his will. Your pain was in his will. The psalmist said this in Psalms 139, verse 8 through 10. I'm sorry, yeah, 139, 8 through 10. If I go up to heaven, you are there. How many believe God is in heaven? Okay. But then he says, if I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. JTP Church, God is not with us only when we're up on high. When we are way down low, he is with us. It's part of our journey. It's part of our process. And God just wants you to know today that nothing just happens. Think back. I don't know what situation it is that has really hit you hard and paralyzed you and doesn't let you move forward. Shaping the way you think towards the future. But whatever it is, God wants you to know that that was in his will. That's why Paul probably learned and wrote about being content in any situation. He says, I've learned how to be content with a lot of money. I can live with a lot of money. How many of you guys can live with a lot of money? Definitely. But he says, I'm also content when I have little money. It's not going to change how happy I am. I could live with a lot. I could live with a little. And it's not going to affect my emotional state. He also said, I'm content with trials. And I'm content without trials. It's not going to change who I am because I know that nothing just happens and that God is in control. It's not karma, but nothing just happens. Let me say amen. Nothing just happens. So what God has predetermined to happen will happen. And there's no devil in hell who can abort his purposes. Yes, every single one has our own will. We all have our own will. But don't even think that, you, that your will can interfere with God's divine plan. God's going to accomplish what he sets out to do. So I want to just encourage you today because the devil has not finished you. Your life is not over. You are not too old. In case anybody here identifies with Naomi, you're not too old. It's not too late. God knows your limits. And I want to finish with this. One of the most craziest things that God's done in the Bible uh, he's done a lot of crazy things, but when this woman, Ruth, shows Naomi, because I'm sure Naomi tried to come and say, come on, girl, you're, you're, you're young. You can start your life. What are you going to come? You're going to meet people that are, don't even speak your language. People are not from your tribe, from, from your city. I mean, you're sure you want to do this? She tried to convince her, but this girl was so sad on saying, look, I'm connected to you. I don't understand it, but I'm going to follow this. So she came back. <clears throat> and because they didn't have money, they didn't have a husband, they didn't have, uh, everybody died. It was just them two. There was a law that said that when people were in agriculture cultivating tomatoes, corn, food, right? From the garden, from, from the farm. 
when whatever falls outside the basket, they weren't supposed to pick it up and put it back in the basket. They were supposed to leave it for people that didn't have money and that didn't have anything to eat. So the owners, that was a law in Israel that whenever you were cultivating and putting stuff away, whatever felt left over, you had to leave it there. So what she did is she told Naomi, she's like, look, don't worry about it. You're an older lady, but I'm going to go, I'm going to hustle and I'm going to start picking up and God will provide. So hopefully they don't see me because I'm from, I'm a foreigner. I'm not even from here. Uh, so she went into a field and she started seeing people, you know, picking up and cultivating all the fruits and vegetables. And she started getting what's left over and they started seeing her and they told the person that owned the field. And when the person owned the field, like a beautiful novel that this is, he falls in love with her. He says, who is that chick? <laughs> who is that girl? And to make the long story, short, long story short, he ends up marrying Ruth. And they marry, and as a matter of fact, because this is how graceful God is, from Ruth, Jesus comes from the same lineage. He was born from the same lineage. So just an amazing story. But look what happens, just so you could see the details of how good God is and, and what he can speak to your life with what you're living right now. God did something amazing. God makes milk come out of an old woman's dry breast. This woman is old. She didn't even have a son. Boaz married Ruth and they had a baby. And this woman lost her two sons, but God does, because God is even in the details. And if you go to Ruth chapter four, verse 16, it says, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. So I, want to, I just want you to know that if you were thinking that it's over, that the opportunities that you had and they passed you by, that's it. It's, it's done. I should have, could have, would have. And sometimes we live with should have, could have, would haves. But God wants you to understand that it's not over because nothing just happens. You need to focus on what God is doing with you today. Because even if you've lost everything, like in the case of this woman, man, God is about to do something incredible if you have faith in him and if you trust that he is with you. How many say amen? How many of you believe that God could apply the same thing to your life if you just trust him? And if you just believe that nothing just happens. So when God is determined to do something or give you something, listen to me. It doesn't matter how late it may seem. Mm -mm. Maybe there's people here sitting and saying, it's too late. I messed up. I should have studied that. I should have pursued basketball. I should have done this. I should have stayed with my first boyfriend. <laughs> I should have. And, and people live in the past. And I want you to talk. I just want you to know that God, or God wants you to know better yet, that it's not too late. Also, you're not too old. Hello? Y'all hearing me? You're not too old. There's some people say, oh, if things would have been different. If I would have known God when I was 18, I wouldn't have made the dumb mistakes that I've made. And we think that it's over. No, hey, if you're alive, nothing just happens. Even in the disobedience, even in the mistakes, God's will was intertwined with your life. 
And if you put your faith in him and start believing God, God can make even milk come out of a dried, uh, I was going to say middle age, but she's past middle age, right? Breast. God could do the impossible. So it doesn't matter how late it may seem. doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter if he has to break every biological law in the book. He will and he can. It doesn't matter if people can't explain it or if you yourself can't explain it. Because that's the kind of God that we serve. God's going to do things that you will not be able to understand or explain. Because it's not karma. But nothing just happens. Listen, JTP Church, nothing just happens. You got that message today? Nothing just happens. No thing just happens. No thing just happens. God is in control. And I'm going to ask you guys to stand today. I prepared this throughout the week. I started on Monday or Tuesday with the idea of what God wanted to share with you guys and with me as well. But this morning as I was praying, the Holy Spirit put a strong impression over my life and I shared it with the first service that God was going was gonna to be a, a service of liberation, of freedom. There's a lot of people that you're bound to things you could have done or should have done and Every time you think of you being more successful, it brings you back to bad decisions that you've made in the past. And that doesn't allow you to see what God has in store for you today. You're so bound to your past and how things could have been different that you can't see all the things that God has ahead of you. And this woman, I don't know what her expectations was. She was a godly woman, but after losing her sons, losing her husband, it's probably just to go back and just survive. And, but God blessed her with an incredible woman that stuck by her side. Gave her the opportunity of, you know, having another baby. And, and I know she wasn't attached to Ruth physically. So it wasn't literally her biological grandson. But she cared for it like if it was not even her grandson, like if it was her son. And those are just some crazy things. You see, God, God will break any law that he has to. He'll do things that are supernatural when he finds somebody that understands that nothing just happens. And that I may be down now, but as a son or as a daughter of God, that this is not my destiny. He called me for great things. Maybe you don't see a blueprint or a pathway in your GPS of life. Maybe you don't know how to get back to being successful in a certain area or, or recover what was lost or, or whatever the case may be. Maybe you think it's, you're too old. But if you understand that nothing just happens and you just put your faith in God, man, you're setting yourself up to be surprised in a supernatural way. And God is about ready to do it for you if you just believe. So I'm going to do a prayer right now. I want to pray for you guys because I believe that in the spirit world, there are chains that are going to be broken today. Chains that were connecting you to people in the past that have hurt you and you haven't been able to forgive them. That's why you're bound to that and it doesn't let you move forward. Or maybe there's going to be liberation in the sense that you were, you were constantly thinking back to bad decisions that you've done in your life. And that's why you're in this state and you could be a lot better. And that's why things haven't happened for you. But God wants you to not focus on your past. God's going to break the curse of the past. God's going to break the things that are holding you back. And he's going to connect you with your destiny so that starting today, you can start seeing 
like God sees and understanding that God is for you and that it doesn't matter what God has to do. He'll go out of his way. He'll change biological laws just like he did with, with Naomi as long as he, he accomplishes what he has planned for your life. So close your eyes right there. Father God, I thank you for all that you're doing right now in the spirit realm, God, things that we cannot see with our eyes. But I believe right now as we pray, God, that spiritually and supernaturally, God, your Holy Spirit is breaking, God. I could, I could, I could physically or, or spiritually see in my spirit like angels grabbing swords of fire and just breaking chains that were holding us to the past that were holding us and keeping us from moving forward God just focusing us on things that we did not do and how we should have done or could have done or would have God I declare in Jesus name freedom because the word says that who the son sets free he or she is free indeed. And I, think I speak freedom right now in every single heart, in every single person that's been detained, that's been held up for way too long. Jesus, I declare the power of the Holy Spirit now working and breaking chains, God, so that we can be all that we can be. We believe, God, that we're here in JTP for a purpose. We believe that you've put us and surrounded us with, with people that love you just like we love you for a purpose, to build each other up, God, to believe and grab a hold of your promises and God we declare that we will not stop believing until we see your promises come to pass thank you God and I declare and I speak deliverance over every single person that's been bound God to regret bound God to bad decisions bound to their past I declare freedom in the name of Jesus we thank you Lord because once again who the Son sets free God we truly believe that they are free indeed. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, where are the free people in this house? Amen. Amen. And I want to do one last thing before we finish today because I want to give everybody here an opportunity to respond to an invitation, the best invitation to the best party, to the craziest get together you could ever experience. And it's called salvation, everlasting life. Um, and uh, there's some pretty big bounces up there. And you can, you can only get in with an invitation. The Bible says that you can't earn your way. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't buy your way to heaven. You can be the best person you can be, be the greatest philanthropist. None of that's going to get you into heaven. Those are good things to do, but it doesn't get you to heaven. Only through Jesus Christ and accepting the gift because it's free. It's free. I know not a lot of things in life are free. Very few things in life are free. But salvation, because it comes from a loving God, is free. But like any other gift, you have to accept it. And you accept it through a prayer. So I'm going to do a prayer right now. If you want to accept Jesus Christ in your heart, just say this with me, whether you're in your home right now watching this on the streaming or if you're here, close your eyes and if the church can help me, just say, Lord Jesus, forgive all my mistakes. I repent of all my sins and I make the decision today to open my heart to you so that you can come and take control of my life. You will be my God from this day on. Forgive all my sins and write my name in the book of life. Thank you, Jesus, for this great gift that's called salvation. Amen and amen. Come on. Let's celebrate all the people that made that decision. You are now a son or a daughter of the living God.